I'm Rick O'Shea and welcome to this week's book show. It's a programme of contrasts this week. Firstly, we talk to somebody who's just been shortlisted for one of the biggest book awards in the UK. The Wicklow Women's Book Club gets to ask questions of one of this week's winners at the Unpost Irish Book Awards. And also, I'll talk to somebody who's a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to the idea of book awards in general. But first... The shortlists for the Costa Book Awards were announced earlier this week, and it's my great pleasure to speak to an author whose book, Big Girl, Small Town, has been nominated in the first novel award category. Michelle Gallen, welcome to the book show. Thank you. It must be immensely gratifying to have this happen. Ah, oh, it's huge. And they um, emailed me to, to say what had happened. And actually, at the time, I had a a fever of 38.5 and really wasn't feeling like myself. So I, I, I was just like, I'm having a fever dream. I'm making all this up. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, a huge surprise in every way. Yeah, I've been nominated for what? Don't be silly. I just need some more paracetamol. Yeah, I was actually on steroids at that point, which was even better than paracetamol. This is a fantastic time for writers from the North. And especially for those who are in some way, shape or form, as a lot of people are looking back through the prism of of the peace process. Yeah, I I would agree with that. But I would also say that's, you know, coming after a long stretch of time where quite literally, if you were a Northern Irish writer and you were pitching to publishers, and I know this personally speaking, that you were told even before you said anything about your book, they'd stop you with, we don't do troubles literature. Um, So it is. It's perhaps a bit of a, a seesaw rather than just a straightforward, you know, an amplification of what was already there. It was a, I think there was a, a long time there where the troubles were not something that people felt comfortable looking at or at least looking directly at. So it's, it's quite interesting to see how I, I personally think that Anna Burns's Milkman really broke the mould and, and changed the sort of way we can look at the troubles and look at perhaps the, the, the humorous I wouldn't say humorous element, but how humor is definitely a coping mechanism. And Lisa McGee's Dairy Girls just absolutely give permission. And it is a, a, a normal life, small town Ireland situation because, you know, it's in the title, Big Girl, Small Town. Small town Ireland, you know, it's a very fertile location if you're in the right place. I think what's kind of attractive about small town Ireland is everybody thinks they know it. And yet, in every small town it, it's so hard to actually know what's going on underneath the surface there's a lot of stuff you think you know and you think you know your town and then suddenly you're 45 and you learn something that makes you think I didn't know that I, I think small towns are both what we think we know and places that continue to kind of shock us or horrify us or just surprise us you know I think as well there's a there's a very small niche uh, uh, literature genre which my wife appreciates very much because when she was 16 she she worked in a chipper as well which is chipper literature and 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 the the ground that that can be uh, for a writer. Chiplet I think it should be called. Um I I would absolutely love to see that category on Goodreads, right? <laughs> um there's something to me about the places in the community where everybody kind of rubs up against each other, right? Like we all die we all eat food we all most of us like to have a drink you know most of us end up getting married and there are all these spots in the community where people kind of rub up against each other and definitely for me the chip shop is one of them Um, you can be standing in there with your kids and then some teenagers walk in or somebody else walks in who's had a few drinks it's just a really I don't know really interesting place to be 
Chiplet. God, I hope we've invented that term. I fear that we haven't. Um, Big Girl, Small Town, it started life as a short story. Is that right? It did. Um, I I was writing a collection of short stories at the time, and it was one of the last to, to come into the collection. And the short story itself starred a guy called Connor. And the thing is, Connor himself was interesting, but the whole world was there. There was the chipper, the disappeared dad, the alcoholic mother, the Daily Brothers, the kind of violent crazy daily brothers were in it and when I finished the short story which was picked up by this stinging fly way back I didn't want to let go of the world I was just completely in it and I um but the thing was is that in my head there was this presence this really silent presence of this strong sort of you know woman and I couldn't let go of it all so I took a month off work at a time in my life when I absolutely had the privilege to and cheap rent and no kids and no partner I just took a month off work and I wrote 70,000 words in a month kind of frightened that I couldn't write it and just just pouring it out while I felt I could. God, there are many, many writers who'd kill to be able to do that in the space of 30 days, regardless of the circumstances. Why Magella? I, I couldn't, and Magella came, in, came into my mind very much fully formed. It was like having a, a, another sister, you know, a fourth sister or something. She, she was very much fully formed, and I really, really liked her, and I think I was quite intimidated by her as well, because meeting someone like Magella in real life is somebody who's going to tell you like it is. If she, if she speaks, she's going to tell you like it is. Um, she's someone who's very forthright and I, I, I can't say where she came from because my characters tend to come in and there they are and they have a life of their own if you know what I mean and it sometimes feels a lot bigger than my life. This must all be extraordinarily gratifying for somebody who admits that they didn't necessarily have the confidence to write a novel because you've been through an awful lot. Yeah, I mean, when I started writing, I actually had a lot of early success. I I won the WH Smith Young Writers of the Year Award, and that was like a field of 32,000 entries. And part of the prize was meeting Ted Hughes, who I hadn't a clue who he was at the time. And I met him in London and he was like, you know, you are the finest young writer I've ever met. And I'm like, who are you? Um, so I had all this initial early success before I knew anything. And I, I went to Trinity College in Dublin. I studied English. And again, I had more writing success but when I was 23 um, I ended up getting encephalitis and that left me you know in a wheelchair without knowing what my second name was and I, I got sent home to my parents and ended up spending a long time convalescing in Tyrone and, and years and years getting my life back together after that. I really was left in a position where I was being spoon-fed and it took a long time to get back to the point where I had anything resembling anything like a normal life. I've just finished being one of the judges in the 2021 Irish Writers' Centre Novel Fair, which in case if people don't know, it's where uh, people who have yet to be uh, published as a novelist have a full novel published. They submit 10,000 words and then they are judged through a panel of judges this year, including myself and Yang Yi and uh, Madeleine Keane. And then the winners in that get a date with uh, an, an agent. You went through that process as well, didn't you? I did. And I, I mean, I had spent 10 years, 10 years with my manuscript trying to get it published. And I saw the novel fair. I mean, I'd known about the novel fair for a few years, but um, that year the stars aligned and the timing was right. And my husband took our kids away for three weeks. Um, he, he's, he's French and they went to France for three weeks in the summer. 
And I sat that summer every evening after my day job, I came back and I rewrote the novel and got it ready for the novel fair, put it in. I got um, shortlisted, which was extraordinary. And then on the day itself, I mean, I can remember this gorgeous, like it was a February day and the sun shining and everything just felt amazing. And when I was walking to the Irish Writers' Centre, I bumped into somebody from like my hometown. And, you know, it's a tiny town and you don't bump into people that often. Um, and so it felt like this omen. And at the Irish Writers' Fair, I think there was 12 of us shortlisted and we sat in a room and we pitched to 15 different agents and publishers. And that's where I met Becky Walsh, my editor, and she fell in love with um, she fell in love with Magella. And it's also where I met my agent, Maureen Gunn O'Connor. And I think the most important thing for me in the novel for it was not just the validation that your first 10,000 words have you know, made the grade, but this idea that they put you face to face with people who are actually quite hard to meet and they put you in a space where there's a lot of excitement and they also connect you to other writers, which for me, I, I was very isolated in Dublin at the time. Well, still am, but I, I wasn't able, I, I'd only just moved back to Dublin. I didn't have any writer friends. I didn't have any connections. So the novel fair was just this perfect, perfect thing for me. And it's where I got my book deal. Yeah, we've we've just picked our our twelve now at the moment. I don't even think they know at this stage. So I think everybody is still on on tenterhooks for that. I want to finish just before we do though. I can't let you go without asking uh, about and tell me if this is true or not that you had a confession box to play in as a child. That must have done wonders for the imagination. <laughs> yeah, no, we um, when I was four, my 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 parents bought a, a derelict parochial house and they moved the whole the six kids and, and them into it um it, it was an amazing house to live in if you're a four-year-old and your mum gets up at six o'clock in the morning to light the fire that heats the house because there's no central heating um <laughs> it was an amazing place for a kid to grow up we didn't just have the confession box to play and we also had um we had two tabernacles not just one we had church brass so you could strike a bell and it would kind of echo through the house and and being kids, you know, we we tons of imagination. So we used to try and you know, we used to imagine the priests and what they got up to. And local people used to call in, actually, and, and they would be full of stories about things. So in the bedroom that I shared with my sisters, there was a cupboard, a huge cupboard. And it it um, one of the local people said to us, oh, that didn't used to be a cupboard. That was a door. And I was like, what? And it was a door originally that the priests used to use to open it and then they would go into the dance hall next door so they could spy on the local people to make sure nobody was getting up to badness at the dance. Why does that not surprise me? Uh, Michelle Gallen, huge congratulations on your shortlisting for the Costa First Novel Award and thanks a million for joining me on The Book Show. Oh, thank you, Rick, so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Big Girl, Small Town by Michelle Gallen is on the John Murray imprint. With the announcement of the winners of the Unpost Irish Book Awards on Wednesday night, and as we've just been discussing, the Costa nominations being announced, this week has served as a snapshot of an awards season for Irish book lovers and authors. Awards are a perennial subject of discussion and speculation, and full disclosure, I've been involved in judging a few of them over the last few years. And so now it falls to me to introduce the nominee for the Scrooge of All Things Awards related, Stephanie Preisner. Thank you, Rick. I'm so delighted to be here. It's so great to be nominated. <laughs> Tell me, when it comes to book awards, you're not the biggest fan. No, actually, it's not just book awards. Awards in general 
I'm not a fan of. Maybe I'm too much of a millennial and maybe I grew up getting too many participation awards. But if it were down to me, I would just cancel all awards entirely and try to encourage people to be the centre force of their own self-esteem rather than depending on these awards to throw glitter at them. That would take all the fun and glitter out of it though, surely. Is it fun or is it only fun for the people who win the awards and then have to keep chasing that dragon? I think it's only fun for the likes of us who get to sit around the room and don't ever have to deal with whether you win or lose or not. That's just where I'm coming from. If, if it's judged by the readers, you see, you can't judge. Just because you didn't like a book does not mean that it doesn't deserve an award or that another group of people wouldn't give it an award. Which is why when there's a judging panel, I have a particular gripe. In terms of judging panels then, what's, what's your, your minor issue? Humans are petty little people and because the book world or the TV world or the science world whatever community it is they're small communities and people are endlessly petty so you have Rick and Stephanie sitting around judging books being like you know what I really don't like him I don't like her she she ignored me in the corridors of RT once I'm not going to I'm going not going to nominate this and you can't help but be like some people are petty and I've been on those panels where you're sitting around and someone's like I don't like him no, I didn't like the book. Why didn't you like the book? Did you even read the book? No, you didn't because you don't like him fundamentally. And it's just not fair. I've had multiple experiences with this, particularly over the space of, of, of the last few months. So I've been on a major judging panel for, for a major award where one author's book was being treated by a couple of people at the table that that person had gotten far too much already out of that book. They were far too famous. The book had sold far too well. Sure, they don't need this award. That was said and fought by me at a table at a major award ceremony. So you agree with me, do you, Rick? Are we having a moment? Do you agree with me? Not yet. Having said that, there is the other end of the scale. And I've just finished judging the novel fair for this year for the Irish Writers' Centre, which is done blind. Now, obviously, you can't do that with books and with book award ceremonies, but because myself and the two other judges judged 300-odd texts, having no sense of who these people were, whether they were Irish or whether they were from other countries, male, female, anything, nothing of anything, it's one of the most fulfilling judging things I've ever done because I don't know who any of these people are, and it was great. But I get... So it's great that you like being judgmental. That's lovely. But if there's three judges, what's to say that if I had been on the judging panel, I would have had a totally different outlook? And so... I just feel that for the writer, for people who work on their own and who create art, being judged by other humans is at odds with the art of creation. I mean, they are immensely important, though. You're just being a bit of a Grinch for the sake of the season that's in it for the nature of what these are about. You think that I am putting down people who win awards, but what I am doing is defending people who don't win awards, who make equally brilliant work. Have you ever been nominated for an award? Yes. Have you won it? No. How did that feel? Horrible. So you see, that is my point. And it doesn't make you any less of a good DJ or whatever it was that you were being nominated for just because you didn't win when matched against someone else judged by a panel of people who had human pettiness. Is all I'm saying. I'm not a Grinch. I'm actually being very kind to people who don't win awards. Well, already on this programme, we've spoken to to somebody whose book would have been brilliant. You're right, one way or the other, whether or not it had been shortlisted for an award. And I'm about to talk to somebody whose book is amazing, regardless of whether or not it won an award this week. Stephanie Preisner, thank you. Can you please tell Darren for me that I thought her book was incredible and I would have thought that even if she didn't win an award. Glad to. Bye.
Now, once again, it's time on the book show to match a book club with an author. Here's Aoife Kavna to tell us about the Wicklow Women's Book Club. Our Wicklow Women's Book Club was conceived when each of us stole separately into a local cafe next door to where our five-year-olds were celebrating a birthday party. We sat reading, writing and chatting at separate tables. Wouldn't it be lovely to be part of a book club, one of the women said when we gathered to leave. And so our book club was born and is now three years old. We meet every six to eight weeks, starting in year one in each other's homes, year two in restaurants, and on Zoom now in year three. The books we keep going back to are largely those that relate to women's lives. Notes to Self by Emily Pine, Constellations by Sinead Gleeson, and most recently, A Ghost in the Throat by Dernie Griefa. We revel in the brute ordinariness and mess of our women's lives being written, which in turn invites us to drag our own unspoken lives out of the shadows and sharing in the light. Reading these books and gathering to talk about them ratifies us, our lives and our friendships. In reading them, we are reading us. If Derny Griefa talks about female texts, it is these female texts written in blood and milk and ink to which we return. After listening to that, you won't be surprised to hear that this week's book is A Ghost in the Throat by Derin Negrefa. Here's Orla Young from the Wicklow Women's Book Club with a little context. A Ghost in the Throat is a collection of essays which are filled with beauty in the past, visions and longing, and are inspired by a poem, Aquina. Derin Negrefa's search for Eileen Dove, the 18th century writer of the heartworn lament of her murdered husband, is the inspiration for this writing. The pursuit of Eileen echoes through the author's own life and is documented exquisitely. The joy and messiness of motherhood in equal parts, the sodden crusts and the tick-tick of her lists, the search for control, the need to be kind and bees. When the public health nurse asks, so what's all this for then? The answer may be why this is a female text. And now I'm joined by the author of A Ghost in the Throat and winner of an Unpost Irish Book Award this week, Derin Negrefa. How are you? Oh, I'm giddy with excitement. <laughs> I can understand why. This is non-fiction book of the year this week in the Book Awards. And, and I know you a little bit, so you probably weren't expecting this, although a lot of other people were. No, you're absolutely right. I wasn't expecting it at all. But that always makes something all the sweeter, doesn't it, when it comes by surprise? I think so too. I Look, I, in terms of the book club we're talking to here, I have it on very good authority that the membership of the Wicklow Women's Book Club discussed the book last Friday. Their meeting lasted three whole hours. Wow. Uh, d- did you imagine that the book would be taken up by people in the way that it has been since publication? I didn't see it coming, if I'm totally honest, but at the same time, I don't think I can take all the credit for it because it's not just my story that's told in the book. It's the adventure story of me seeking out the life of another woman, Eileen Dovney Connell, who lived hundreds of years before me. So I feel like it's as much down to the passion and the um, interest, I suppose, that readers take in her life in as much as they have in my own. So I'm so delighted that readers have taken it to their hearts. 
And an element of this, and they're always worth the mention, are the incredible Lisa Cohen and Sarah Davis-Goff in Tramp Press, who are the ones who, who've published it. From from my point of view as, as a reader, and I think from a lot of people's point of view, they do have this magic wand in terms of just picking the most incredible books to publish. They do, absolutely. And I mean, I emailed this as a manuscript into their slush pile. So they picked this from hundreds and hundreds of entries or submissions that they get from prospective authors. And I'm so grateful to them for taking a chance on it and to, for bringing this book to its readers. OK, now I think it's time to take some questions from the Wicklow Women's Book Club. The first one is from Michelle Spillan. Duran, you start and finish your book by telling us that this is a female text. What for you is a female text and how is a ghost in the throat one such text? Thanks for your question, Michelle. Um, I suppose a lot of this book really grew from my admiration for the work that women do all the time, which is so often unseen and underappreciated. And I started to wonder, well, if each woman's life could be considered a book in itself, what kind of form would their days take within it? What kind of tasks would fill up the texts or the pages or the paragraphs of our days? And so I came to writing a book that was trying to honour women's lives, each of which is different and valuable and fascinating to me. So I suppose that is the essence of a female text as far as I'm concerned. And question number two is from Fiona O'Connor. Hi, Dirin. What was the significance to you of taking the brick from the anatomy lab? I love this question, Fiona, because it really draws my attention to how much of a little thief I am. Um, I, I suppose I'd preface it by saying that as a young person, what I wanted more than anything was to be a dentist. And I studied like mad to get a place in dentistry and then very quickly realized that it had been a big mistake and I wasn't cut out to be a dentist. So within a year I was gone. But within that first year, I had the remarkable experience of dissecting a human body. And later in my life, I found myself returning again and again and finding excuses to go back to that dissection room. And once I even snuck up into the attic and stole a brick. And I think to answer your question, in some strange way, that brick represents memory for me. How we always try to carry something away with us, don't we? Especially from the strangest and most moving moments of our lives. Can I suggest that, I mean, whilst it may have been a lost vocation for you to not become a dentist uh, at some stage in your life, that it would have been kind of a, maybe a bigger loss to your, to your writing career? I suppose, we, yeah, well, maybe. But at, at the same time, you kind of make the best of the life you're given, don't you? So I'd say if I was a dentist, it would never have struck me that I'd be a writer. You know, I came to writing so late. I was in my late 20s, which is late by the standards of a lot of writers, I suppose. So, um, yeah, no, I'm used to working a day job. And I'd say I would have just I would have just done my best to keep moving on that if that was the way life had led me. But I'm really happy that I've been given this alternative way of connecting with other people you know through my writing I think just when I read that initially in the book my first thought was like every dentist I've ever had you would have been fantastic at keeping one-sided conversation going <laughs> yeah yeah it's very difficult to shut me up <laughs> I did not mean that like that our final question <laughs> from County Wicklow comes from Anora Farrell <laughs> I 
I suppose it might sound strange, but as a bilingual writer, it's never really a conscious decision for me which language to write a book or a poem in. Every idea, when it first occurs to me, it seems to already know which language it wants to be expressed in. And often my role is more as kind of a servant to the idea, to allow itself to make its way through to paper without interfering with it too much. So I just always obey which language it wants to be in itself. Just before I let you go, I've asked this question of a number of authors this year and, and particularly of somebody like yourself. You, this is your first full book. Um, you've done loads of these as, as, as a poet. We've done events together before. But did you feel in some way that you were slightly robbed of the ability to go to festivals and be in rooms full of people and have, have your work appreciated like that? Or does the likes of winning this award this week, does that maybe make up for it in, in some small way? Oh gosh, well, like it, it is sad not to be able to meet readers face to face. I always love that opportunity, you know, and to be able to thank people for spending so many hours of their lives reading the book. You know, it's it's an extraordinary gift that readers give all of us as authors. But that said, no, I've been very, very fortunate that like so many booksellers have gotten behind this book, and so many reviewers and so many readers. So I've really still had that sense of excitement as an author. Of, of of witnessing the book finding its readers and I feel so grateful there have been so many different people who've played a part in that you know and and so I feel I'm in a particularly lucky position but I'm looking forward to meeting readers I hope very soon like I hope next year things will settle for all of us and I'll have that experience of being able to thank people you know face to face and just to finish uh, before I let you go I saw a little while ago you saying on social media that you were hibernating for the winter how's that one going for you? Oh, it's good. I mean, like, I'm such a book nerd myself, so I'm taking the opportunity to revisit loads of books and seeing how they'll welcome me back into them again this winter. And that's been such a treat. I'm really enjoying it. But I love quiet winter evenings, you know, with the fire down and a good book. It's great. Darren the Griefer, thanks a million and congratulations again on your win this week. Thank you. A Ghost in the Throat is published by Tramp Press. Thanks to Darren and to the Wicklow Women's Book Club for the questions. If you'd like to volunteer your book group to take part in a future episode, you can drop us a line to bookshow at rte.ie. That's it for this week's book show on RTE Radio 1. The podcast is available wherever you find yours, including previous episodes with Unpost Irish Book Award winners Donald Ryan and Louise O'Neill. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BookshowRTE. This Wednesday night, live at 8 o'clock on the Shelf Analysis YouTube channel, my guest is Irish writer, academic, influencer, activist and broadcaster Sinead Burke. If you don't get to watch live, you'll be able to see it later on on RTE Culture. I'll talk to you again next week and as ever, don't forget to check with your local bookshop for any of the books featured on the programme.